it's a good thing it's a holiday weekend and hopefully many of you have off tomorrow because you're not getting out by noon today. Just go ahead and take care of that since we've got about 12 minutes. So we're going to run over today. So now that you have that, you can sit back, relax, and enjoy the message and let God work in your heart. Find Revelation chapter 2, if you would please, this morning. And while you're finding it, I want you to listen to an article that first appeared in the Saturday Evening Post years ago that reveals a husband's reactions to his wife's colds through the years of their marriage. So you have a husband and wife and they get married and the first year the wife gets a cold. The husband said, sugar dumpling, I'm really worried about my baby girl. You've got a bad sniffle and there's no telling about these things with all the strep going around. I'm putting you in the hospital this afternoon for a general checkup and a good rest. I know the food is lousy there, so I'll be bringing you food from Tassini's. I've already got it all arranged with the floor superintendent. Year two. She gets a cold. Listen, darling, I don't like the sound of that cough. I called Dr. Miller to rush over here. Now you go to bed like a good little girl for Papa. Year three. Maybe you better lie down, honey. Nothing like a little rest when you feel lousy. I'll bring you something. Do you have any canned soup? Fourth year, cold comes on. Now look, dear, be sensible. After you fed the kids and washed the dishes and finished vacuuming, you better lie down. Fifth year cold. Why don't you take a couple of aspirin? Sixth year cold. If you just gargle or something instead of sitting around barking like a seal. Seventh year cold. For Pete's sake, stop sneezing. Are you trying to give me pneumonia? Now, now we chuckle because we know that... Those things can happen. Marriage, things can change in a marriage. The the wonderful love of the early years can grow stale and ho-hum if we're not careful. It's true in marriage, but it's also true in our Christian lives. It's also true in our church. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to ask you this question, how's your heart? How's your heart? Now, in one sense, we're taking a break from our Church Matters series, and we will return to it. But in another sense, we're not taking a break, and and because what we're talking about fits real nicely in the idea of the church and Church Matters. And you're in Revelation chapter 2, and before we read that passage, let me give you a little background about how we got to Revelation chapter 2 today. As many of you know, I just finished one of the busiest seasons, I think, of my life. In addition to my wonderful family and the wonderful but busy ministry that God has given me here, for almost two and a half years I've been working, pursuing a master's degree. And as many of you know, two Friday nights, that journey came to a close. I'm done, graduated, praise Jesus. (laughs) But we came home this past week, we came home on Monday. And I'll be honest with you, I was tired. Yes, I was tired for the last several years. I didn't realize how bad things had become, how busy I had become, how burdened I had become until it was over and I was able to look back and see. I didn't realize how bad it was. I was starting to burn out. I was tired from a week of vacation in Atlanta that we went on, which included the graduation itself. Thursday and Friday were mostly dealing with the, the, the school itself. I was tired of driving to Atlanta, driving in Atlanta, 
and driving home from Atlanta. I told somebody they can have Atlanta. It's a nice place to visit, but a nice place to, to leave, too. If you're from Atlanta, forgive me. Those people are crazy. <laughs> they just, just cut it anyway. Plainly put, I was tired. Drained. And I tell you all that because it's how we got to Revelation chapter 2. I sat with the Lord one morning this past week. Tired, drained, fatigued. Got to find a new normal in my life. Got to figure out how to get back to, to not having school in my life. And God brought this passage to my mind. And it's a passage that I needed personally. And it's a passage that I believe that we as a church need. Would you look at Revelation chapter 2? You know the background of why we're here today and what brought us to this passage. And I pray that God will work in your heart and life the way he did with mine as we look at this passage. Revelation chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil, and you've taste, tested those who say they're apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you've left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, Repent and do the first works or else I will come to you and quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. But but this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Now, I want you to know Jesus is the one mentioned in verse 1. Who's walking in the midst of the seven churches. We know the meaning of the stars, the lampstand. If you back up just one verse in Revelation, we're told the Lord Jesus tells us what they mean. Revelation 120, the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels or literally messengers of the seven churches. We would think it'd be the pastors of these churches. And the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. So we understand that Ephesus and the churches mentioned are seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3 were real churches that Jesus is addressing. And he had a message for them and thus a message for us today. And as we look at this, I want to bring two things to your attention particularly. And that's this. First of all, we serve a Savior who knows us. We serve a Savior who knows us. Look back there and we find out right away that Jesus knows all about his church, his people. Verse two says, I know your works, your labor, your patience. You cannot bear those who are evil. Jesus knows all about his church, all about his people. He knows the good. He knows the bad and he knows the ugly. The word know there in the original language is not an idea of learning something. It's the idea he has full and complete knowledge. He knows all about us. Now, that's a comforting thought. Nothing you do for Jesus is, is overlooked by him. He knows the good works that you do. It's a comforting thought. But it also can be a very convicting thought, can it not? 
To know that He knows all about us. He knows about us individually and corporately as a church. He knew about the church of Ephesus here. And I want you to notice several things that he knew. He knew, first of all, it was a working church. Verse 2 mentions that he knows their works and their labor. Their works. They're doing their labors there. Labor occurs the idea of weariness. They were hard workers. They were sweating. They were laboring intensively for the Lord Jesus Christ. They were active. They were busy. They were a busy church. Jesus said that. I know your works. I know your labors. I know your toils. I imagine that their nomination committee maybe didn't have as much trouble as ours does when it when it comes time to to get people signed up to work. They were working. They were laboring. They were serving. They were sweating. The idea of toil there for Jesus. Someone has said there are three groups of people in every church, three groups of people. There's the shirkers. That's those who do nothing. They let others do the work and do the giving. There's the jerkers. Those are the ones who start out fine, give a jerk or two, and then run out of gas spiritually. It's kind of jerk and get going and then stop. They become indifferent and unreliable. There's the workers. Those who do the work, those who give, those who labor. And Ephesus was a working church. You have the shirkers, the jerkers, the workers. Which one are you? But anyway, we have these three, but here at Ephesus, they're working. They're working church, laboring for Jesus. And Jesus commends them for their hard work. They're a working church. They're also a persevering church. Notice verse 2. It talks about that he knows their patience. Their patience. Drop down to verse 3. It says, and you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake. Obviously, times have not always been easy for these believers. We know the Bible says those who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution in the Christian life. There are trials, there are problems, there are hardships. We're not promised smooth sailing, but praise God, we're promised a safe landing. But this church, they persevered. They didn't give up. They kept laboring for the Lord. They were a working church, a persevering church. They were also a pure church. Verse two goes on to say, you cannot bear those who are evil. That is, they took sin and holiness very seriously. Sad to say, many churches don't take sin and holiness very seriously today. Verse 6 mentions the Nicolaitans. Jesus says, but this you have, you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now, I want to point out something important there, especially in light of recent events in our own state and the media And one particular pastor, I want you to notice it says that they hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans, not the Nicolaitans themselves. We love the people, love the person, love the sinner. We hate the sin, yes. Jesus hates sin. Jesus died because of sin. But we love the people. And it says there very carefully, but this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. It didn't say they hated the Nicolaitans. Now, who were the Nicolaitans? We're not sure. There's a lot of conjecture and ideas, but we just don't know. But their deeds were evil. Their deeds were sinful. And the the church at Ephesus was a pure church. They were also a discerning church. Look at what it says in verse 2. And you've tested those who say they're apostles and are not, and have found them liars. They were discerning. We need more of them today. See, there were those who came and said, listen, we're apostles for the Lord Jesus. And they tested these people and said, you know what? You're not. You're a liar. They were false teachers. We need discernment today. 
Listen, beloved, not everybody that stands up with the Bible loves Jesus and serves Jesus and will lead you in the right way. We need to be discerning. Now, we find here that Ephesus was a great church from all appearances. It, it was well established. It had been around for about 40 years at this time. Had a wonderful history between its leaders and some of its prominent members. And we don't have time to go into all that today. Maybe one day we'll study the seven churches and we'll be able to talk about that. It, it was active. It was busy. It was doctrinally pure. This is a church that any pastor obviously would love to be a, a shepherd of. Uh, if you had a family and you were there, you say, Let, let's go join the church at Ephesus. What a wonderful church. But wait a minute. Jesus knew about all those good things. What did we say? He knows about the good, but he also knows about the bad and the ugly. And the ugly truth comes out in verse 4. Jesus commends them and says, you've done this, you've done that. I know all these things. But that next word in verse 4, nevertheless, nevertheless, I have this against you. That you've left your first love. Wait a minute, how can this be? A busy, active, doctrinally pure church like this. And Jesus says to them, you've left your first love. I hold this against you. Not John, he's just the messenger writing. This is Jesus saying to this church, I have this against you. You've left your first love. See, we have a Savior who knows us and still, and yet, we serve a Savior who loves us. You see, it was love that motivated our Savior to give this hard message to the believers, the church at Ephesus. Listen, He desires our love. Think about that a moment. The Lord Jesus desires our love. Levy said about the church at Ephesus, He had their heads... And he had their hands, but not their hearts. They left the first love. What is first love? Well, it's the love they had for Jesus at the very beginning. It's the love that a new believer displays and shows and has right after they get saved. Wearsby said it's the devotion to Christ that so often characterizes the new believer. That fervent, personal, uninhibited, excited, and openly displayed love. It's the honeymoon love of a husband and wife. He says, while it's true that mature married love deepens and grows richer, it's also true that it should never lose the excitement and wonder of those honeymoon days. When a husband and wife begin to take each other for granted and life becomes routine, then the marriage is in danger. Kind of like that couple in their opening story there. As the years pass, yeah, they still loved each other. Yeah, but that love had grown cold and mechanical and routine and, and stale. And it just wasn't that love they had at first. You see, that's not the kind of love Jesus wants from us. He doesn't want cold, mechanical, stale love. We can go through the motions, beloved, but have no emotion at all. We can labor and work and persevere and be doctrinally pure and and at all appearances say, hey, that's a great church. Yet we can do that without love for the Lord Jesus. Do these words sound familiar? Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I've become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. 
And though I have the gift of prophecy and and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. And now abide faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is what? Love. Love. So I ask you today, friend, how's your heart? How's your heart? See, Jesus, he didn't just want your head. He just didn't want your your hands and your feet. Jesus wants your heart. We have a Savior that knows us, all about us. He desires our love. And here's what's interesting. When our love wanes and grows cold and stale, like the Ephesus believers to the church at Ephesus, the Lord Jesus tells them and us what we need to do. You see, they had heart disease. And Jesus gives the cure. And he lays out there for them what we might could call three R's for spiritual heart disease. Maybe you've got spiritual heart disease. Listen to what Jesus says. Three things we're to do. Verse number five. First of all, it says, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. First of all, we got to remember. Remember. Remember how you used to love Jesus? Remember where it was when you first got saved? When you realized he had forgiven your sin and and washed you clean and, and made you a child of God and gave you a home in heaven. Remember that love? Remember how excited it used to be because out of a love you wanted to serve and and sing and and do whatever you could because you love Jesus. Remember those days. Remember from where you have fallen. Precious memories. How they linger. How they ever flood my soul. Remember those days. Secondly, he says, after remembering to repent. Repent. What's repent mean? It means to change your mind. The change of mind leads to a change of behavior. The idea is you make a clean break. Repent. Do it now. Let him know you're sorry that you've got to this point in your life where your love is not where it used to be. Your love's not where it needs to be. You've left your first love. And, And you see, that second R, repent, leads to the third R, Because a change of mind is a change of mind leads to a change of action. He says there in verse number five, repent and do the first works. That is return, return or repeat. Do the first works. Go back to doing what you used to do. We say, what did I used to do? Well, when you're a new Christian, what did you do? You you love to pray and to, to read God's word and to worship him just to spend time with him. See, we can be busy serving the Lord. And we ought to serve the Lord. We can be very active in our church. And all that is great and well and good, but beloved, we have to love the Lord. And serve out of a heart of love. And we can get so busy serving Him, we don't have time to spend time with Him. Allow Him to speak to us through His Word and us speak to Him in prayer and just worship Him. Just spend time with Him. Jesus warns them in verse 5, if they don't do this, 
He's going to come and remove their lampstand. One preacher said the church that loses its love will soon lose its light, no matter how doctrinally sound it may be. I don't know about you, but I want us to be a church and a people that shines brightly for the Lord Jesus. This past week, I had to obey Christ's instructions in my own life. I had to remember. I had to repent. I had to return. You see, Jesus wants my hands, yes. He wants my head, yes. But He especially wants my heart. My love. See, when He's got my heart, He's got everything else. I love all my heart. He's got everything else. He wants my heart. We have a Savior who knows us all about us. We have a Savior who loves us. Desires our love. Desires our heart. And I wonder today, how about you? How's your heart? Are you just going through the motions? Are you just kind of drudging along in your Christian life? Are you just kind of serving because you always have and you, you, you feels good to do it and everybody else expects you to do it? Or are you doing what you do out of a heart of love for the Lord Jesus? Maybe today, if you were honest, you say, you know what? I need to remember. I need to repent. I need to return to the first works. I need to return to my first love. I need to fall in love all over again with the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, beloved, but it blows my mind to even think that Jesus desires my love. I was a rebel, a sinner, a wretch, good for nothing, who shook my fist in the very face of God as a sinner. Rebelled against him in his love. But he in his grace and mercy and love through his Holy Spirit convicted me and brought me to the point of conversion and saved my soul and gave me a home in heaven. Placed my feet upon a solid rock. And he says, I want you to love me with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. I want your heart. Have you gotten over that? That's probably the problem, isn't it? We've gotten over it. Oh, yes. Praise God, I'm saved. I'm way to heaven. Beloved, stop for a moment and realize what you're saying. Realize what Jesus did for us. He died for us and shed his blood for us and arose for us and said, Father, I love them this much. I'll die on the cross for them. And I'll give them eternal life. I'll give my all that they might be spiritually free. And yet our love wanes. Do you need to remember today? Do you need to repent today? Do you need to return today to what you used to do and say, listen, I need to take time. I need to spend time with my Jesus. You see, we talked about the husband and wives. If if the love is waning there, you know, we need to go back and do what you used to do. Go on a date again, spend time again, talk again, hold hands again, kiss again, spend time together. 
in the Christian life, if your love is waning, what do you need to do? You need to spend time with Jesus. Talk with Him. Allow Him to talk to you. Worship Him. Today the invitation is simply this. To return to your first love. To return to Jesus. The altar is open. In a moment after we pray, we're going to sing. Maybe today you need to come like I did this past week and say, you know what? Jesus, I remember. I repent. I return. Father, thank you for loving us. Jesus, thank you for your kind dealings with us. Thank you for your desire of our love, for your love for us. We love only because you first loved us. Father, thank you for the message to us today. And I pray if anybody's here today who knows you, yet they realize they have spiritual heart disease. Would you bring them, Lord, in this invitation? Bring them not to me, but to you. And may that love be rekindled. And may it grow in a great blaze for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. The invitation is clear, I hope. The altar is open. 210, my Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. For thee all the follies of sin I resign. My Jesus, I love thee. And the altar is open. And today I would invite you to come. Remember, repent, return to your first love. The Lord Jesus, would you stand as we sing 210, the altar is open, you come. Don't wait, you come on that first word.